Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecaster, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, but guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the grand GM Gerrymander, the kindly Kathleen Halpern, and the dashing Daniel Markwood. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chris and JT, and we are going to talk about Quantum Ogres. If you're looking confused, don't worry, we'll explain very soon. Before we dive into that main topic, though, we're going to ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. What was one time that you had a fully prepped game only to completely improv everything for your players interacted with? JT, I'm going to start with you. All right. So so it, frequent listeners will have heard some other stories about my Dresden Files, and I made a whole White Council uh, story arc, and the players were like, no, the White Council is evil. I'm not doing, we're not going to play along, blah, 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 all that. But I got a different story today uh, along these well, lines. We need to have a conversation about that at some point. The White Council is not evil. They're just misguided. There's a difference. Agreed. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So we're on the same page, Chris, but my players were not, and they didn't tell me this during session zero. So yeah, Screw them. I just assumed they thought the white council were good guys. And like I did. And um, no, <laughs> so I don't think they're good either. I just think they have an agenda. Yes. They're, yes, they're very yes. lawful agenda. <laughs> so I'm today going to talk about uh, my old monthly Pathfinder game. Uh, I took a map from uh, Dyson Logos, and if you don't know who he is, wait till the end of the show, and I'll tell you more about him. Um, anyway, he had created this awesome map that I saw on his website, and I was like, that's a Druid's Enclave. But it's not just Druids, it's a Druid's Enclave overrun by giants. Like, the, they kick, the giants kicked the Druids out. Uh, well, killed most of them and kicked the rest out. Anyway, the players were supposed to encounter uh, an quote-unquote on-the-run druid who was seeking help from anybody that could possibly purge the area of giants. So the players see the druid, they encounter the druid while driving through traveling through the wilderness, and they immediately murder Hobody. <laughs> so the adventure hook for this scenario that I had deeply planned out uh, was now you know bleeding out in the forest. Like insert facepalm <sighs> to me and Ange. We both facepalmed at the same yeah. time. <laughs> Right, right. So I was like, great. Uh, I, I could have like had him find a note with like a map to the Druid's Enclave, but why would the Druid draw a map of the place where he lived? You know what I'm saying? That, that just it wouldn't make sense. So what I did is I did the Quantum Druid's Enclave. I moved the Druid's Enclave <laughs> from where I had planned for it to be to smack dabble in the middle of the direction they were going. So they continue on their merry little murder hobo way, and they run into uh, this Druid's Enclave that's now overrun by giants. They don't know it's a Druid's Enclave. They don't put two and two together. They finally cleanse the area of the uh, giants, find a bunch of dead Druids, find out that the Druids were actually good guys, and they were like, oh. <laughs> Remember that guy we killed a few sessions ago? Maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they did learn their lesson that it's okay to talk to strangers sometimes <laughs> instead of just being straight-up murder hobo, everybody they encounter. So, so yeah. That, that was one time I had to, like, kind of improv, move things in my world because the players didn't know it was there, so they didn't know that I was moving it. So it all worked out. It all worked out. <laughs> what about you, Chris? So so first off, when Ange talked about Quantum Ogres earlier, what went through my head was, they're here, they're there, they're every bleeping where Quantum Ogres, Quantum Ogres, for all the Ted Lasso <laughs> fans in the house that know who Roy Kent is. <laughs> there you go. 
also a good way to way to teach those people that it's okay to talk to NPCs and don't just murder them out oh, right. Good job. That's a, that's, a, that's an object <laughs> lesson right there. Yes. So I was running a, a long con uh, at a con, like a, a long con game at a con that was going to be that's two sessions long of Monster of the Week, and I knew some of the players at the table. I, I actually knew all the players at the table. They had signed up for this thing, and the backstory for the game. They're going to ask answer some questions about the Chicago Demon. And the interactions they had with the Chicago demon that kind of destroyed Chicago. But their questions were so compelling that I'm like, what if we just played that game instead? And they were all like, yes. And they all shook their heads. I'm like, all right. So I picked up four pages of notes that I had for this thing, ripped them all up, threw them on the table and ran a game for seven and a half hours. That was about the things that they had come up with. (laughs) <laughs> right there with zero all the prep i had's gone like none of it i didn't use any of it like it just gone just okay let's play a game and it was a fantastic game the uh Good. the wear gator for those people who know him was in that game uh plus some other people rob abrazado who used to help with the gnome cast fun time it was a good good fun time yeah i remember hearing stories of that game and and honestly anytime i run the the a power by the apocalypse game that i am confident in like monster of the week or masks I don't even come to the table with a plan. I wait until the char- the players give me hooks from their characters that I turn into adventures. It was the first time I'd ever run Monster of the Week. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's bold. That's brave. Granted, I'd run like 100 plus sessions of Dungeon World. So, I mean, it's not like I didn't understand. Oh, okay. The yeah, you, you, got, you, got the con- you got the concept down. Yeah. All right. What about you, Ange? So... Like I mentioned, there are all those Power by the Apocalypse games I've run that are just, I don't show up to the table with anything other than an understanding of the genre that that game is representing. Um, And then I basically build the game off of what the players are giving me. Also pulling in some tropes that I think will be some fun to use. But most recently uh, in my my D&D campaign, the characters were in the city of Stormreach. And... The entire goal was to basically head out into the jungles of Zendrik and do exploring. And so I was very focused on this, and I had everything prepped for what they were going to encounter as they started doing their hex crawl exploration stuff. But I had a few things I wanted to plant plot seeds for in the city of Stormreach. And I did this with one of the characters who was a cleric of uh, the Church of the Silver Flame. He happened to go to the church and mentioned that the head priest he was supposed to be meeting with had disappeared. And for some reason, when I was prepping for this session, I never thought of the fact that my players are probably going to fixate on this mystery and not leave the city until they solve it. Oops. So I basically (laughs) had to scramble to pull together this entire mystery for them to search out, you know, like track down, find the clues go into the sewers, hunt down the cultists that had kidnapped the priests, have this whole big fight all basically as the game was going. It was like that that meme picture of the guy throwing uh, throwing tracks in front of a train as it's going because like they were going forward and I didn't have any of this stuff prepped other than the vague idea of what had happened to this priest. And they loved it. They had a great time. It was just like, okay, we're going here. I don't know what I'm putting in front of them yet, but we're going. <laughs> hey, if they had a good time, success. Great. Right? Yeah. So let's get to our main topic, quantum ogres. So what exactly is this? For those that don't know, this can be a pretty hot topic among gamers. In general, a quantum ogre is what it's called when a GM has something planned for the players they put in front of them no matter what they do. For example, 
no matter which path you take to the wizard's tower, there's going to be an ogre in the way. Or, you know, a, you know, druid enclave overrun with giants. <laughs> yes. Now, the largest complaint against this type of thing is that it takes agency away from the players. Thing is, it's a little bit more complicated than, than it's often portrayed. So we gnomes are going to talk about this for a little bit and go over what's bad about it and why that might be an oversimplification, um, especially considering the amount of work GMs put into games and all that. So what is the real problem that people are complaining about when they accuse a GM of using a quantum ogre? Chris, I'm going to start with you. Sure. So the thing about the quantum ogre is that it feels like it's taking away players' agency in the game, which honestly it is. That is that is a thing that is happening, but it's a magic trick, right? Like the quantum ogre <laughs> is a magic trick. If the players never know that you did it, then it doesn't matter. As soon as they see the magic trick, like most GMing tools, then it becomes less clever and cool. So that's the problem. Like that's the risk versus reward. And I like talking about risk versus reward with GM tools these days. And I think JT will talk about this a little bit more, but if you're comfortable running an encounter that you prepped and the players avoid that encounter and then you have nothing else and there's no game. So if you have no improvisational skills or improvisational skills are low and you're not okay with that, you might as well just quantum ogre it so you can play the game because that's actually the point of being there at the table. That is the problem. That is the reason, at least in, in basic. Uh, do you agree, JT? Do you think, uh, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I do. I, I agree with everything you said there. The quantum ogre is a tool to, to be used. And let me back up a little bit. Uh, uh, as most listeners know, I'm an author. And so I listened to this great uh, podcast called Writing Excuses, which has a handful of highly intelligent, well-established writer folks and now an agent. But Dan Wells said something on a recent episode of the podcast uh, that when he is teaching, he is teaching tools, not rules. And whoa, it's three words, but it was immensely profound for me because as an author, I mentor people, people mentor me, there's education going on, a lot of sharing of knowledge and the simple phrase of tools, not rules, just, I, I'm still internalizing that to be honest with you. I only heard it like three days ago at the time that we're recording this. And that's really the crux of what we do here at Gnome Stew uh, is that we do tools, not rules, or at least we should. Can I, can I talk about that idea for a second? Yeah, you bet. Hop in. So for years, I've been listening to tabletop gaming podcasts and, and working with people and, and talking with people about, about tabletop games. And there are always these folks out there that say, you shouldn't do this. You can't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. I'm like, right. and I've, I've made my bones jamming. A lot of people love the games that I play in because I do the things that you're not supposed to do. Now, <laughs> Let me tell you, I do not recommend that most people do those things usually because they are high risk, sometimes low reward plays. And that's where sure. I'm at now with this idea. Like if anybody tells you don't do something in a tabletop role playing game, you need to ask yourself why. And like JT said, these are tools, man, not rules. If anybody says don't, there's probably a place that it, it, it fits in, right? The quantum order yeah. fits in certain spots. And yes. I think we need to think about more concepts in tabletop role playing games that way. This tools, not rules concept and it's deciding for yourself can you pull it off is your group going to be okay with it and what is the risk versus reward and even if it's high risk does it pay off really well in the end like people don't like player versus player conflict type stuff we get a lot of it going on in our misdirected mark games right now and it's paying off dividends making the games much better for us anyway 
So there you go. Uh, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you, JT, for letting me jump in there. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got a slightly different angle on the, the risk versus reward. I call it the level of difficulty to produce an enjoyable thing, whether you're producing a novel that's enjoyable to read, a game experience at the table that's enjoyable to experience, whatever it is. And like Chris just said, in the but on the, the writer side of the world, there are millions of rules of do always do it this way, never do it that way. You can't do this. Oh, and it just sends me into a rage, right? Yeah. Stephen King and his damn, the, was it the, the, the road to hell is paved in adverbs. Sorry, sorry, Mr. King, you're wrong. If we shouldn't use <laughs> adverbs, they would have been eliminated from the language a million years ago. So suck it. Now he makes more money than I do writing. So maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But the way I like to phrase it is if you, quote unquote, break the rules and, quote unquote, do it wrong, you're not doing it wrong. You're just increasing the level of difficulty to produce something that's enjoyable. So there is no you can't do this. It's like eh, maybe you shouldn't unless you're more experienced. And then once you're more experienced, then yeah, sweet. Run around and break all the rules you want. Guidelines. Sorry, run around and break all the guidelines you want. Just be aware that it will increase your level of difficulty for producing an enjoyable experience. I think one of the important things in using this type of tool is to understand what actually is the player agency in a, any given scene yeah. or any given game. 100% agree. Um, because, you know, like if you tell them there's a path here and a path here and you've heard rumors that there are ogres down the left path and they choose to go the right path to avoid those ogres. Putting an ogre in front of them is kind of like being, you know, screw you to the players. It doesn't matter what you tried to avoid. Agreed. I had this happen in a game a few years ago, and it was, we had a, we had a big bad, not a big bad, we had a major bad guy that we needed to avoid. We need, we wanted to get him out of the way. So we went through this whole process. It was a World War II game. He was a Nazi captain or colonel or something like that. We did this whole scene where we basically like, tricked him into going to a certain place because he thought he was going to have romantic time with one of the female characters. <laughs> and instead, we basically knocked him out, tied him up, and went on our way. Well, he still showed up in the very next scene because the GM had no idea how to handle that scene without this bad guy being there as a motivator to keep us moving. Ooh. That was, like, really the first sign that we were not we we were on a train we were literally on a train and it didn't matter what we did yes chris right you did that that game master could have fixed this problem so how much fun would it have been if he, if he does show up in that scene but he's like in his boxers like stunned not nearly at his full potency which means you you there all you did a thing that affected the story but the game master still because they didn't know how to handle that cuz they're not excellent improvers then brought that encounter back but made it an advantage for you all right so like that's the yeah. way to handle that right if you are not right. good at that this is this is where i talk about the idea that this quantum ogre technique can help you become a better improviser because you don't have to annihilate your encounter but you do have to shift it subtly and you already have the encounter so you just have to like adjust one or two things so you have your encounter exactly. just fix a few things and then you can still do the thing get practice at improv and have your quantum encounter I think like one of the things I've done for some of my games is I will have encounter ideas set up ahead of time. I don't know where they're going to happen. That doesn't mean I'm ignoring the agency of the players. 
because another thing to consider with all of this is like not that not that my only role as a gm is to entertain my players it is still to help give my players a good experience and if i don't have anything for my players then that's not a good experience that's true right that's not an experience at all right yeah you know you show up to roll some dice and you stare at each other for four hours and then you go home and something's got to happen you know i've actually gotten to the point where if my players are completely and deliberately avoiding the plot hooks in front of them, I will say, okay, it's been great hanging out with you guys for an hour, but that's all <laughs> I've got. So unless you want to do the stuff that's here that would make sense for your characters to do it, then let's end the session and we'll come back next time with something else to do. I've said this before, you never have to accept a bad game you never have to stay in a bad game, but if you are in a game, you should at least respect a little bit of the effort the GM has put into it and oh, yeah. not try and completely ignore everything they have set up for the game. This is why sometimes the Quantum Ogre happens. It's like the players go left when the GM expected them to go right. Okay, well, I still need to give them something to do, so let's put the adventure in front of the players. Sure. Uh, you can even subvert the quantum ogre as a trope. So for listeners out there that may not know what a trope is, it's like a commonly used phrase, thing, event like quantum ogre. It's a trope in role-playing games. You can subvert a trope by using the trope in a way that it is not normally used. And, and, and I'm going to give an example to, to concrete this in your minds. In Angie's example, you have two roads, left and right. The right have ogres, the left you're not sure. So the players go, we don't want to fight ogres, so they hang a left to go around the ogres. Well, you can still have an ogre or maybe a family of ogres or something along those lines on the left-hand path, but twist it around and don't make them antagonistic ogres. Maybe they're exiled from the ogre clan, and they can help you defeat the ogre clan. Or maybe they're refugees because something bigger and badder unless your murder hobos just murder them out outright <laughs> well there's that yes unless your murder hobos just draw swords and charge yes but yeah, absolutely that's the player's fault that's not my fault <laughs> <laughs> but yeah subvert the quantum ogre so that yeah sure they run into ogres and then of course you know the more experienced player may get a little salty with you until they realize that you're doing something different or odd or weird with these ogres instead of just putting them as hit point meat bags in front of the play of the characters. So all in all, this, this o quantum ogre thing is not as big of a problem as some folks make it out to be. Would you agree with that, Chris? I'm a Sean P. Kelly. This for those who know Sean P. Kelly from gaming and BS. <laughs> it depends. It depends. It's context is king, right? Like context matters a lot in this, mm -hmm. is in this situation. So the three probably most generalized versions of frameworks or adventure structures are the dungeon, overworld travel, and investigative gameplay. That's outside of the idea of linear or branching adventure structure. I just said a whole lot of words, everybody. I think Ange and JT know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's probably some episode on the Gnomecast or Misdirected Mark or pick a podcast on this network that talks about the stuff that I just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> Each of those situations will provide a different outcome for your quantum ogre. Like your hex crawling, quantum ogre, probably not a great idea. If you know where the ogre is, if you did the work to find out where the ogre was and it's in this hex and then you put it over in this hex and don't have a good reason for it, it feels like a cheat. It makes the players feel bad and we don't want bad feelings in our gameplay. That's kind of the point of the game is to not have bad feelings or things that feel weird. If it's a dungeon, sure, the ogre could be wandering around. It's not that big of a deal to shift the ogre somewhere else. But if the players have done some work, you better 
gives some amount of warning that the ogre is moving around. Like you hear something stomping around behind you. Cause then at least that if you moved it, you gave the players some sort of advantage for that. And I think that's really where it comes down to is when the players do a thing to try to get around a thing and they succeed, you can't just unilaterally make it feel like they failed. And I think that's the big problem yes. here. And that's where context matters and taking into account that interplay of, did I succeed and did I get an advantage for the situation versus I still have to deal with the thing. I think the whole thing with agency is respecting the agency of what the players have tried to do with their characters. You know, if they have tried to circumvent an, a problem, you can't just force them to deal with that problem just because you don't have anything else planned. You need to respect that they have done the work to deal with the problem because not everything, well, one, especially if we're talking D&D, &D, Pathfinder, traditional fantasy games like that, not everything needs to be a fight. You know, you can avoid stuff that way, but it can leave a inexperienced GM feeling frazzled because they had prepared for a fight. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having the fight. You just have, what is the advantage that they get for doing the things that they've done? Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, JT, but I, I talk, I've talked extensively in different places about linear adventure design because I've written a lot of them for, for publication. To me, it's whatever happens in encounter one better have an effect on encounter two or encounter oh, yeah. three or encounter four. If I have like a, a four room gauntlet, because linear adventure design is essentially a gauntlet. You go from one place to the next to the next. Right. The only right. interesting thing about that gameplay structure is how does my thing that I do in this encounter affect a later encounter or situation? Like that is the that is the actual gameplay of that format. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. Like if I avoid my ogre in encounter one and I'm bringing that ogre back in encounter two or something like that, I better give the players some advantage about the fact that they got a round ogre in encounter one. Like they hear it coming. So they got a round or two to prepare for it to be there. That's enough, really, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah. The, the, the linear encounters having the, you know, step one impact step two and all that. If you want to see a poor example of this, go to the D&D movie, not the most recent, but the old one that was done however many million years ago. And they had a quote unquote maze of madness. And the maze of madness was a linear four room thing with no lefts, no rights, no nothing. And I almost table flipped because it wasn't a maze and there really wasn't a whole lot of madness there. It was like a... a, a uh, what is it? The American Gladiator Gauntlet kind of thing. That's exactly what it was. In a fantasy world, right? I was <laughs> yep, like, no, it was the Gauntlet of Punishment, not the Maze of Madness. But anyway. If they would have called it that, it would have been better. That would have been awesome. Yes. I would have totally ripped that off and put it in the game. It, okay, now I have to put a Gauntlet of Punishment in, in a game somewhere. <laughs> as long as you have a color puzzle on the ground where if they step on the wrong thing, uh, fire blasts or arrow shoot out at them. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's what happened in that movie. I think, I think you're right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I remember that, but I'm, I'm <laughs> scarred by that film. I think we all were. Yes. And you got anything else? Yeah, so what, what advice do you have for the GM that is dealing with having prepped something for their players and then the players just avoid it? I think we've covered a lot of this, but like some last thoughts on like, how do you deal with this? How do you make it seem like you're not doing, you know, pulling a bad quantum ogre on your players? JT, you go. Sure. I got some thoughts on that. So it, it depends on the player motivation for avoiding the quantum ogre in the first place. If the players as a group are risk averse, not as characters, but as players, because they don't want their precious little characters to lose hit points 
and all they do is dodge your quantum ogres and they do it on purpose because they don't want to be heroes. That's when it's time to have an out of game conversation as from game master to players and say, hey, guys, you're playing heroes. Be heroic with the context of the game being about heroic fantasy. Correct. Yeah, yeah of course. Obviously, yes. I knew Play that's where you were going, but I wanted to make it clear to the audience. Awesome. Yes. Thanks for the clarity. Yes. Play to the theme of the game, please. If you're playing Cthulhu, you probably want your players to try and avoid the stuff as best as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's going to be other challenges in the game that that, that right. push and pull on them. But so if the player intent is to never get in harm's way, it's time for a frank conversation. Now, if it's like an analysis paralysis kind of deal and they argue forever for left or right that's when it's time for them to roll initiative because the ogres find them instead of the other way around i've had to do that to, to, to groups repeatedly because they had been punished for not proper plans by prior game masters and they brought that ptsd with them to my game table and i'm like guys i'm not your enemy i'm actually your biggest cheerleader at the game please stop i know so many older gamers who have ptsd from bad gms oh, yeah. in the 80s and 90s it's really sad. I got a player in one of my games that's still suffering from that. And we, we always are like, what, who hurt you? Right, right. Show me on the doll where they touched you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can give you a step, uh, a sidestep to that that is not necessarily just roll for initiative. It's, look, y'all, do something. Or I'm going to make a move, which means I'm going to have something happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That way they can, you're letting them know there's a timer and then they can make the choice before you decide to make them, before you decide to roll initiative. Because you're like, well, I gave you a chance. And now it doesn't seem like I unilaterally as a game master to be like, well, you've been standing around for too long. Forget it. You're all in trouble now. Take this. <laughs> that's just me. Like, I, sure. I think that's a better, that, that lowers the, as we talk about tools, right? Because that's basically make a move from, from the Power by Apocalypse games. When they don't do anything, mm -hmm. you make a move. Right. That's the, the lower risk version, higher reward version of that move. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say a million years ago, I had a player, no matter how convoluted, complex or weird ass of a maze or dungeon complex I drew or made, he would always take the shortest route from wherever they entered to wherever they needed to go. He just had an innate sense of <laughs> how to navigate night mazes. And it drove me batty because he was dodging all the other cool stuff. I mean, there's cool stuff along the way, but I had other cool stuff that I wanted them to experience. And I just kind of accepted the fact that I am going to build a maze, not a gauntlet of punishment, but a true maze and not use all of it. I just had to accept that fact that so long as Mike was a player in my, my table, he was going to shortcut the maze because that was his superpower. <laughs> One thing I wanted to say goes back a little bit to something Chris said earlier about how it's a magic trick and how, you know, the people only complain once they know it's a magic trick. And I'm one of those GMs that after a game, I will share with my players all the magic tricks I pulled because I think it demystifies what GMing is. And I've had people tell me that, like, oh, you can't tell your players how this worked. It'll make they'll feel like you cheated them. And I'm like, why, why, why would it, why would it feel, why would they feel cheated? Because I had to improv a section that I wasn't prepared for them to deal with just yet. Right. Why would that make them feel cheated? This is why it took me 15 years of playing role playing games 
before I got pushed into running games. Because it was this mystery veil, you know, it was all behind the curtain of what GMing was. And like sharing some of these these types of tools that are essentially magic tricks you pull for your players is actually good to talk about because it helps other people feel like maybe they could GM too. Absolutely. Yeah. And we need more GMs because, I mean, it, it's just, you know, you just look at a con. You got however many GMs sign up to run games and then times six or times eight or whatever, mm-hmm. times 10, maybe probably number of players signing up to attend and play the con. Because there's a lot of players that don't get in on the tables they want to get in on because there's not enough game masters floating around. It's the bane of existence when going to con- larger conventions because there may be a game you want to play, but there's only going to be six-ish seats at that table. Sure. You know, the GM's only human, so they can only run for so many, so many times. Can I suggest a thing about the idea of the magic trick and being transparent? Sure. Um, I am all for everything that you said about that, but I have had situations where I have told the magic tricks that I have used after the game, like explained them, and people got mad at me. Oh, me too. Yeah, I've had more people be impressed than mad, but I have had the anger response. Yes. So uh, my suggestion for that is implement something like Stars and Wishes at the end of your game so that you can get a gauge of what people really enjoyed and what people really want in the future. And then dole out the tricks that you think there's not going to make everybody angry at your game. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. That way you can do both, right? Like, and like, oh, I got a sense that maybe I shouldn't tell them this trick because I didn't really like the thing that I did there. I'm with you, Ange. You should tell people stuff because that will make more game masters, but also preserve your games by figuring out what they liked and didn't like first. <laughs> I, I should probably clarify that I usually, I usually share that information with people I already know, not necessarily a, a table full of, of strangers at a con or anything. In fact, yeah. there was one convention where I was running a game for cubicle seven uh, it was um oh wolf something system that they lone wolf lone and wolf. it was a it was their basic scenario it's the characters are sent from their mission to go to this waypoint marketplace on the road they find out about a caravan that went missing they go investigate the caravan they fight the bandits that that waylaid it rescue a couple of people get the stuff back i was running this at origins and i had a player who pretty much refused to leave the 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 marketplace he just coming up kept coming up with more questions to ask more people to talk to and i'm just like quickly scrambling to try and find enough and i'm realizing that like they're never going to get to the getting on the road and finding the missing caravan so i basically moved the caravan much closer just a little town on the other side of the bridge. That's where all the stuff is going to be. So I could give the rest of the players of that table something to actually do to make them feel like go. they were being the heroes they were hired to do. When all was said and done, and I'm asking the players, so did you guys have a good time? The guy who like completely threw a wrench in the works, he's like, well, this was fun, but it was too much of a railroad. I think I stared at him for like a solid minute with my mouth hanging open because <laughs> like the entire... Last two-thirds of that game were absolutely nothing like the notes I had for that session. I made it up all on the fly to accommodate him right. refusing to engage with the plot as it was written. 
not everybody's going to be happy. I don't think there's anything to worry about. Folks out there, if, you, if you're listening to this and you hear Angie's, Angie's story, if that happens to you, that's the person that you ignore. As yes. JT knows, sometimes you're going to get feedback from somebody. You're like, well, that's wrong. Yep. <laughs> yep. Here, here's my guidelines. One person says it, probably not. Like, probably not true, probably not applicable, probably not an action item I'm going to take. Two people say the same or similar thing. Eh, maybe. It, it, you know, it depends on how closely aligned the, my thinking is with their suggestion. Now, Especially if that's half your group. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, three or more say the same or similar thing. Probably. Not definitely, but probably something to consider either changing the adventure, changing the system, changing how you approach something, how you do something, whatever it is. So that, that's my rule of thumb. I am nodding at JT. That is, yes. <laughs> this we is should, radio, so you can't see me nod. There you go. <laughs> we should probably start getting out of here. Is there any last things you want to say about this? Any last words of wisdom for our listeners? Uh, yes, yes. I said it before. I'll say it again. The quantum encounter, the quantum whatever you want to call it, it is a great tool to use to start learning how to improvise because you just think of it, if we go with the Marvel thing, is that your quantum ogre is a variant of your ogre. So just figure out how it's shifted in one or two ways and then make it happen. Agreed. Yep. yep. And carrying the tool metaphor for, forward, the quantum ogre is a great tool to use, but like any tool, if you abuse it or overuse it, it's going to break on you. What about you, Ange? Yeah. And just echoing what, what Chris said earlier, there's a lot of... Um, especially certain corners of the internet, a lot of, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this, you never do this. Take all of that with a grain of salt. This quantum ogre is exactly one of those things that you take with a grain of salt. It can be abused, but it can be a really handy tool for GM. So, this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You two can Patreon backer by following the Patreon link, Gnome Stew website to Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Ogre in a Hat. Sometimes you need that random encounter, and we can get that for you with our ogre in a hat. Whenever the, whenever the players stop, just reach into the hat and pull out a random encounter. Maybe it's an ogre. Maybe it's a treant. Maybe it's a dragon. Maybe it's an ogre treant dragon. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're enjoying the Gnome Cash, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Bonus experience. Monica and her friends explore gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to? All right. I mentioned Dice Logos like way early in the episode, so I'm going to give him a shout out again here. He has hundreds of maps available for free for home use, uh, meaning not commercial. You can't take his map and go sell it somewhere else. I'm sure he has some sort of licensing thing that you can arrange with him. I don't know. I've never looked into it. But anyway, he's got hundreds of maps on his website, uh, DysonLogos.blog. We'll have a link in the show notes. He's also got a Patreon. So if you really like what he's doing, you can um, you know, throw some bucks his way via his Patreon. The link for that will also be in the show notes. So there you go. And I love his maps. His art style is on point, very well done. And his maps are actually usable as opposed to some of the more artistic flowing style of maps and you're like i can't put a mini on this right i i i, <laughs> I, I, I don't i can't use this his maps are immensely usable uh so i highly recommend them awesome chris you got anything to shout out yes i do if you ever wanted to try an old school renaissance game i highly recommend mouse ritter where you take up the sword and down the whiskers of a brave mouse and 
It's a nice rules-like fantasy adventure role-playing game. It's got a nice set of rules that I very much appreciate. Uh, we've played a couple sessions of it, and we played through The Minds of Mousia. Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> terrible, terrible title. And and it's got a lot of Secret of Nim vibes to it, if you remember that card. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I was shocked at the, at the setting, because there's no setting for it. It's all in the charts and things like that, because it's an old-school Renaissance game. But it was like human experimentation and, and like human trash here and there and whatnot. I'm like, oh, I get what you're doing here. It's real good. I highly recommend it. And you can get it. It's very cheap or free if you want over on itch.io. Nice. What about you, Ange? I'm going to remind folks that the week this drops is the week of Origins Game Fair, uh, which I will be attending. If you are around Origins, I mean, like, first of all, if you're at Origins and taking the time to listen to this, thank you. I really appreciate you, but what are you doing? You're at Origins. Go play some games. Go see some people. But I'm gonna be there. So if you see me, say hi. Otherwise, I think we're uh, I think we're good to get out of here. So, do you all think this episode was good enough to keep you out of the stew? So, JT, do you think our variants, our quantum variants, will go into the stew for us this time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm gonna shove them right in. Well, Angel never know. No, not at all. Okay, perfect. Yeah, as long as we don't tell her after the fact. True.